0: Welcome to Dragon Talk.
1: Yay! Dragon Talk! Bro!
0: Yay, I am Greg Tito, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, Shelley Mazinobel.
1: Hi, my friend, Greg Tito. How are you? Great. How are you?
0: I am uh, smiling because I get to talk to you
1: for this podcast.
0: That's really the only reason.
1: That's why I smile usually only on Wednesdays when we record this podcast.
0: It's the scheduled smile time and (laughs) laughter time.
1: That's how I have it blocked off on my calendar. (laughs) Time to smile. And the muscles on my face hurt because they haven't made that motion in such a long time.
0: I do have that. If I do a long session of us recording, like my face starts to be like, man, you could stop smiling for a while.
1: Oh, geez. Do that. It Start really, like, stretches out my double chins. It's yeah. hard for them. But it's the only exercise they get other than, <laughs> I guess, chewing. <laughs> well, in that case, they get a lot of exercise.
0: I guess that's true because there's yeah, a lot of chips it. involved.
1: Those chips aren't going to eat themselves.
0: Especially around the D&D table.
1: Hey, uh, D&D.
0: So this is where we're excited to talk all about the fun things going on for D&D Celebration.
1: Woo!
0: There is so much to do and watch and listen and participate in. Uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight is going to be out. Uh, so it's a big celebration of everything that's going on in that book, including all of the Adventurers League games that you can play in online over the course of that weekend. Still available tables. So sign up for those and play with some of the most expertly trained Dungeon Masters uh, that, that are in existence.
1: Yes, that is Awesome. And you can fine. play and
0: in whatever format you prefer online. Uh, yes. You know, every communication platform out there, whether it's Discord or Zoom or, or uh, you know, our, our partners through Fantasy Grounds or Roll20, uh, you can use all that stuff and also uh, various uh, languages uh, you can play in it as well. Uh, so sign up for those. There is space available. Uh, lots of different adventures within the Wild Beyond the Witchlight framework uh, are available to you
1: yep and I love it, the idea of either gathering up your your usual party and playing or just yourself and just go make some new friends and just you know it's just real turnkey just get a ticket, sit at a table, play d and d.
0: It's one of the greatest things uh, ever. it's what you know conventions uh, are 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 famed for, but here we are bringing it to an online setting. Uh, while we're here and being as safe as possible. Um, and that is a theme for our interview today. We talked to Noah Averback Katz. He played Rin on season three of Star Trek Discovery. Um, and as part of filming that uh, season, play Dungeons and Dragons with some of his castmates in the show, including Anthony Rapp, who we spoke to uh, earlier this year, his wife, Mary Wiseman, Blue Del Barrio, and Ian Alexander, who play characters in season three. And they are playing in a game live during D&D celebration with longtime D&D alum and Star Trek alum, Will Wheaton.
1: It's a beautiful pairing right there. I can't wait. This is going to be a really, really fun game. Um, I feel like this was one of those moments where, like I remember where I was, the moment I found out that the cast of Star Trek Discovery plays Dungeons and Dragons, because yeah. it was a very big deal in the community when people had no pun intended discovered that. <laughs> um, it was so exciting and. Yeah. Um, just yeah, I like to unearth these uh, uh, underground D and D games that aren't really underground because they're the ones that outed themselves.
0: Yeah, right. They were public about it, posting. <laughs> but it was it was strange for me personally too because I had just started getting back into uh, all of my fandom around Star Trek, and then of course you know loving uh, Star Trek Discovery, and you know all the theater backgrounds, so knowing Anthony yes. Rap, Um and then seeing that just exuberance around the game uh, that they were playing and how excited they all were for it both being new players and returning players Uh, it just was this great confluence and then once we got to talk to them uh, we've we've actually been trying to get them to play for an official Dungeons and Dragons sanctioned event uh, for for a long time Uh, and so I'm very excited for this to go off it's going to be on Friday I want to get the date right so I don't get the number wrong the 24th of September at what time?
1: 11, uh, 11 a.m. Pacific.
0: Nice. Uh, so, so go to dndcelebration.com uh, to uh, see all those fun live games that will be available for you to watch, uh, including the Star Trek Disco Does D&D game. That's going to um, be
1: fun. Also including The Circus of Sound, a D&D musical. What? That's happening. something
0: that we've also been trying to work on for years and years and years. But Kelly Lindy D'Angelo is making it happen with some amazing cast members.
1: Oh, my gosh. So, yes. Thank you, Kelly, um, for making that happen. Anthony Rapp's also in that. Of course. For that cast. How could so, you not? Exactly. But um, how cool is that?
0: That is so cool. It does So, so that game is going to be on September 25th, 9 p.m. Eastern. No, when is it?
1: 4 p.m. 4 p.m. Uh, there is Pacific a full schedule time. at dndcelebration.com so you don't have to, you know, pull over to the side of the road and write all this information down. But you can just go to the internet. Uh, yeah. And also, if you can't, you know, if you're like, I'm busy at 4 p.m. Pacific on Saturday. Oh, there the videos will be posted afterwards, so you don't, you won't really miss a thing. But how great is this going to be? How great is it going to be? I know, right? Oh, I'm so excited. It's just funny how much um, Anthony Rap represents like all of your fandoms and they're <laughs> right, all <exactly>. colliding <laughs> into like this one musical. <laughs>
0: exactly. It is one of those things where I'd be like, man, if, uh, uh, you know, I can't wait to roll dice with them one day right?" and uh, have all of those fandoms connect. Now, if he was a Boston Red Sox fan, like it would be like everything mm, in one.
1: That would be weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's too much. Like, that's almost too That's almost like, are you stalking, Greg? Like, come on. <laughs> I had no idea. It's amazing.
0: Uh, so uh, so the, what are the other uh, live games that you wanted to get out there?
1: Um, uh, well, uh, I think Amy Vorpal, friend of the pod, is also DMing a really uh, funny one, The Slapstick Hunt, A Silly uh, Chase, which is just going to be like a little – farcical chase um, through the universe and beyond. Who who knows where she's going to send uh, her um, cast. And her cast is uh, actually cast members from the guild. So that's going to be amazing. Uh, Of course, B. Dave Walters will be there dungeon mastering. um, The dungeon and the dragon. And what I love about this game is that it's kind of flipped. The players... Are going to be the monsters and they're coming after the heroes. They're actually going to be employed by a dragon who has been wronged by these heroes. They stole her horde. What? And um, so she's got hired uh, the band, this band of monsters to come get it back. And now, like, I want to be a monster.
0: Right? Yes. Use your, uh, your hex blood. Uh, you're basically a monster with, uh, with that thing. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I just r- rip off my toenails and go crazy.
0: That is such a cool uh, idea. Uh, Of course, B. Dave is bringing that to life with Alicia Marie, Deborah Ann Walt, Todd Stashwick, Patrick Rathfuss. Oh, my God. And Matthew Lillard all playing in that game. Uh, And then, of course, we've got the great dragon tourney with Anna Prosser, Mika Burton, Nathan Sharp, Jonathan Indovina, uh, and Mark Humes uh, with a special.
1: Very special.
0: special. Special guest Kate Welch joining that game.
1: And that's going to be a really fun little one-off. You're going to get to see some dragon jousting.
0: (gasps) I like dragon. I like the game joust. Is it just like that?
1: Do you like dragons? Yeah. You're going to love this. Sweet. Yeah.
0: Um, On top of all those live streamed games, there are tons of panels uh, from the community about all types of subjects, including you know how to run your session zero uh, and uh, one of the ones that was a big hit last year: the future of D anD. D uh, with the D&D team talking about, um, you know, where where the brand is going, what type of books you might see, and maybe even some sly announcements.
1: I mean, who can stop them?
0: I Not mean, us. We we can't. Oh, well, shoot. Actually, we can't, I guess, as it turns out.
1: <laughs> no, we cannot. Uh, you're going to get... <laughs> and do too, we really want real, to? Shelley? Too real, Too real? Nope. We're... That'll be a good one. You're going to want to watch that. Trust me. Um, also, the Dungeon Master Roundtable is coming back. Um, we've got Brandy leading a wonderful um, group of Dungeon Masters to talk about immersion, This mm-hmm. is a wonderful topic. And I'm really excited about my first character, which Jim Zub is leading. So if you've ever had a, uh, a young adventurer in your life who you're thinking, gosh, that kid would love Dungeons and Dragons. How do I get them started? Perhaps this wonderful panel can you um, get you. So again, Sweet. go to Dungeons and Dragons or DDcelebration.com and look up uh, all of these great panels, all of these great games, and just spend the weekend with us celebrating D&D. Yeah.
0: Uh, on top of that, there is a map of the Witchlight Carnival uh, that you'll be able to explore, uh, and there's some fun things that you can find hidden within there.
1: Oh, I know some of those fun. Actually, I know
0: most of those fun things. You know most of those fun things. Uh, <laughs> but I will be
1: going exploring too because I want them.
0: Are some great gamified puzzles uh, within that we want the community to collaborate on and, and uh, discover uh, together? Uh, it's going to be very exciting. A lot of the great uh, puzzle makers have been working on that, and it's. I mean, I just love maps. I love how they trans, you know, port you into a whole other world like a transporter does in Star Trek. Uh, Good it's, segue. It's a great way to make it happen. So uh, check that out as well throughout the weekend of D&D Celebration, which begins with some previews, right?
1: Uh, yeah. If you are, are listening to this podcast, you should go back and discover all of the previews that we uh, set loose on the world um, starting on Monday the 20th. They, we were just like, you know what? Why should Celebration just be a weekend when it could actually be? A whole week and the teams love when we spring things on that like on that um they were really excited so we just cracked open fizz Band's treasury of dragons and strixhaven a curriculum of chaos and a really special um bonus uh supplement for uh the wild beyond the witch light which has been announced now by the time this podcast airs. It's called Domains of Delight, and it is a supplement that teaches you everything you need to know to create your own Archfey and Domains of Delight. Um, So, lots of good peeks inside of those books that haven't been released anywhere else, and let me, it's good stuff, you guys. So, go to um, dungeonsanddragons.com and go, uh, there's a list there that that tells you um, all of the creators that were sharing those bits of content um, throughout the days, Monday through Wednesday, or just follow Dungeons and Dragons on the socials. And um, I'm sure that that you can just find lots of um, the the pieces there as well as we were probably elevating or retweeting those posts from the creators. So, nice. lots of people in the community are, are involved in sharing that content because we just are we're just excited, and there's a lot coming up still this year so we want everybody to to just get a peek and see what's happening
0: right we got we do have a lot of uh, uh books coming out here with uh the wild beyond the witch light treasury of dragons in october followed up with this uh strict a curriculum of chaos very oh. all different flavors of, of so how to different. play dungeons and dragons uh and so we want everyone to get a taste during D D celebration and celebrate along with us
1: I have been working with um, Amanda Hammond on her um, Strixhaven panel. And wow. I just, we are, like, every day it's just like, oh, I love this so much. Like, these are, there's just emails going back and forth. Like, that's so great. I love this. There is. It's just going to be fun. And it's just really fun to hear her talk about the book, too. So, so get bright. excited when you learn about um, all of these cool new things you can do with your D&D characters and campaigns. Thanks to Amanda's hard work.
0: Oh, God, I know. I love Amanda. She is uh, uh, bringing that setting and that time period in our lives of college to life uh, so well in that book. I can't wait uh, to dig in. It's Um, fun. But speaking of learning and going to school, uh, there is some lore you should know about the Wild Beyond the Witchlight, about uh, the Feywild and these domains of delight. Uh, And so let's take a listen to Ari Levitch expounding on those things before we get to our interview with Noah. Okay. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Ari Levitch. Hey, Ari. Hello again, everyone. We are excited to talk to you, Ari, about uh, a topic that is going to be on the tips of everyone's tongues for... When the Wild Beyond the Witchlight comes out on September 21st, uh, all about what's going on in the Feywild, and one of the most uh, uh, iconic parts of any discussion of the Feywild or fairies or fae at all is this idea of they have courts, they have these uh, palaces set up uh, with lots of aristocracy satire involved in them, as well as uh, specific rules to follow, and so uh, Ari, I want to talk to you all about the Courts of the Feywild.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to uh, talk more about that. Uh, yeah, so the, the the Courts themselves are, it's an interesting thing in the Feywild, because we talked about in the past this idea of the Feywild being kind of this chaotic realm, but mm. at the same time kind of being beholden to certain like rules of etiquette and things like that. And what I find so fascinating is that this this chaotic type realm can have these these courts at all, you know that there is a sense of hierarchy in some regard. Um, the courts, the two main courts, when people talk about, you know, the the Feywild, it, it typically ta- breaks down into the Summer Court and the Gloaming Court, and generally those map to the to different types of Fey. There's seely Fey and unseelie Fey.
0: Where and, now? Where do, where do those terms come from? Because that that's actually that's like a more of an ancient uh uh middle english type of description right
2: i'm not sure about the origin of the word itself um i know it is very kind of steeped in uh in folklore uh but i don't know like that is a good question about where where that comes from um, now i'm going to do some digging right after this
0: right well and it's one that you've seen in lots of fantasy yep. literature uh and and it's referenced and changed by each author's uh, interpretation of that, uh, and I love that Dungeons & Dragons has their own interpretation. But, so, yeah, so Seelie are, are... are Where do they map to? So, the, the
2: Seelie Fae, again, and I, I want to make sure that... I just want to point out that... So, they have these two courts, right? You have the Summer Court, you have the Gloaming Court, which are these kind of the largest courts. The Summer Court uh, uh, being ruled by uh, Titania and the Gloaming Court uh, being ruled by uh, the Queen of Air and Darkness. Mm. But... Kind of yeah, uh panning back a little bit more or pulling back a little bit more and talking about Sealy and unsealy fe. The Sealy Fae tend to be more etiquette focused. Mm. They tend to be more about behaving in you know in the proper way. Now that can sound very lawful in terms of like D&D's alignment system, that there is yeah. a proper way, but bear in mind that the proper way can be fickle that that thing is fluid and changeable and being kind of up with the current uh, fashions is an important aspect of, uh, of the sea leaf particularly particular in the summer court. Whereas the unsealy fe as also kind of characterized by uh, the gloaming court is much more about the wild. This is kind of the fae quality of being completely uninhibited and everything that comes with that. So there is this kind of, this is where you know, you might have, um, you know, this idea of, of of raw primal strength might be something like a source of danger in the Feywild. So you have these wild, deep, wild places of, of the of the realm. This is where the unseelie might live. So these might be in you know. Um, a, you know a crumbling old ruin is is uh, an unseely uh, you know arch phase kind of headquarters or, or uh, that's where they would make their domain and or you might have this kind of overgrown uh, bramble thicket this might be an, an unseely place whereas you go to uh, a place where there is a, a, a seely fey, you might have this is where you'd have like the proper hedgerows and things like that so this is where mm. you get this kind of difference in feel and so the Sealy court, or the Sealy Fae, oftentimes lends itself really well to the kind of intrigue style of adventures, whereas unsealy Fae lends itself to going into these wild places and having to navigate that. So they they lend themselves to very, very different kinds of uh, adventures, but they're both uniquely Fae, which I absolutely love.
0: Right. I love that too. So there is this element of chaos in both, but there is still a chaos that, parades itself as being fashionable and rich, I guess, if, if we're using, our, you know, or uh, um, no, not necessarily rich, but like, you know, what we think of as aristocracy in our world is, mm-hmm. is the is the Seelie Court, whereas the unSealy Court uh, or the Gloaming Court is just more primal, right? like more animalistic. Yeah. And then there is a
2: respect for that kind of expression as well. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so there's almost like a, a, a beauty in in uh, chaos that the, the unseelie court embrace.
2: Yeah. And so, I mean, playing in the Wild, like like we've talked about, is so much of the tension or so so much of the danger comes from you're not exactly sure what the rules are or how they apply, or you're not exactly sure how this place functions from denizen to denizen. And so that's kind of the beauty. And whether or not that is person-focused in the Seelie or like... Um, uh, behavior-focused in the Seelie, or it is primal danger in mm. the, the Unseelie. So that's that's what I love. And I think there are opportunities for DMs to kind of weave an adventure through both of these things, because it, there is this almost like eternal antagonism between the Summer Court with the Seelie and the Gloaming Court with the Unseelie. So Titan- uh, Titania and uh, the Queen of Air and Darkness are at odds. And so many of the different arch fey or fey denizens of the fey Wild have allegiance to one or the other, though not all fey do. Some fey just like are doing their own thing and could, could care less.
0: Yeah, I, I maybe this is because uh, uh, Chris Perkins said it was an inspiration when when kind of creating this, but I get a very Alice in Wonderland uh, grounding when I talk about the fey and when you're describing the the Seely Court. I think of the queen of hearts and how she is very much in control and has underlings who do exactly what she says. But a lot of what she says is nonsensical. And if you apply any kind of, you know, real world or earth logic to what she's saying, it it, it seems meaningless. Uh, so there's, right. it, it has this idea of being um, powerful, but still there's, there's this weird undercurrent of silly and satire happening. Yeah.
2: It. it it's, it's, it, there is an absurdity to it, but, within the context of that court, it makes sense. There's like an internal sense to it. And so just kind of getting your feet under you about what that is and finding what that is. Like Alice in Wonderland is a good example. I think like um, Hellboy does a good example of, sh- mm. of showing at times what the Fey can be, oftentimes uh, in looking at what uh, what Unseelie might look like. Mm. And Unseelie doesn't mean evil and seely doesn't mean good. That is, right. I just want to make that clear because uh, you pointed out, like the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland who would definitely be or could definitely be characterized as, as a seelie fey uh, character I'm hard pressed to say that they're a good character so right. you know that's I love that it's more based on how they approach the chaotic nature of the feywild rather than aligning to good or evil necessarily and it allows for just a range of characters allies and enemies in both in both types
0: and they also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it also maps a little bit to the D and D concepts of uh, of Elvendom, right? Where there's the the high elves and when wood elves, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you have Eladrin, you know, who are you know native to the to the Feywild. Um, they they you know, they're they're present in these courts as well. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. Like elves have have uh, a deep connection to uh, to the
0: Feywild. And the, and would you say that most wood elves are in the unseelie category? Um that is a fine question. Um, I think
2: you you could definitely have them lean in that in that direction. Um I think that there are wood elves especially if there are wood elves that kind of curate their their spaces uh, that could still follow. I I don't think it's necessarily it maps one to one but mm-hmm. there is definitely if you were going to uh, if you wanted to make wood elves that were very much closely connected to the unseelie I think that's that's really exciting.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, all right so uh how do these courts both the uh uh gloaming court and the I'm forgetting the name of the other court that you mentioned the summer court summer court and the gloaming court uh how do they interact with the storyline that's presented in the wild down the witchlight
2: yeah so their their presence is kind of felt more of like a tertiary thing as because because it's it's in the fae wild there's going to be some some uh Connection to, I mean, to the politics of the Feywild, what, you know, whatever's happening. But Prismere itself has its own kind of internal problems with the the Hourglass Coven doing its thing. Mm. But there is a moment in uh, uh, in Hither where you meet a character who is actually who serves uh, the Summer Court, who is a knight of the Summer Court, mm. and uh, they are a a fairy dragon uh, named Sir Talivar. And uh, what they've been trying to do is uh, they were trying to recruit Zabilna of Prismir to the summer court's cause. And when it was discovered that the uh, the Hags were in were in charge instead, um, they basically they took Sir Talavar captive. I so see. you 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 feel the presence of the summer court, you feel the presence of kind of the larger political issues in the Feywild, um, but you don't necessarily interact directly with the uh, with the Summer Court uh, in the adventure. So if you're building your adventure you, or you're building your own Domain of Delight um, or your own Archfey, you can immerse yourself wholly in, in those kinds of courtly intrigues.
0: That's cool. I like that. Uh, and you mentioned the domains of Delight and how Prismere is only one of those. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of this information could be used to build out other Domains uh, in, in, of Delight within the Feywild.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's, that's part of the excitement is even if you want, if you didn't want to build a da- domain of delight per se, but you're like, I want to explore the summer court. There's a lot of fun, there's a lot of fun ways to create just a, a, a an eclectic collection of characters that, that show off the range of what it means to be Sealy, And for the same thing, if you're going to do the glooming court and you have the queen of air and darkness, who is basically this floating crystalline you know, uh, entity and is not, you know, humanoid shaped in any way. Oh, wow. um, and is basically embodies a sense of being a force of nature. And it it's very, very much very unseely in its presentation. Um, but yeah, I, you could create, you know, what does it mean to have the, what is a gloaming court? What does an unseely court look like if it's about, you know, following these kind of primal instincts as an, as uh, an, an a way to express those things. But, it's probably less hierarchical. So what does that even mean? And so there's a lot of opportunities to flesh that out uh, in, in fun ways.
0: That's cool. Uh, the Queen of Air and Darkness sounds like a very interesting character. I want to know more about uh, about her.
2: Uh, yeah, so the Queen of Air and Darkness uh, is is the counterpart
0: to uh, Titania of the Summer Court. We've talked about the Summer Court and the Gloaming Court, but there is another court that appears in Prismere. Uh, how does that work?
2: Yeah, so just to kind of uh, add a little bit to it. So you have those two courts, but those aren't the only courts that exist in the Feywild. Uh, Those are the two big ones. And, you know, many Fey ally themselves to one or the other. But there are other ones that just kind of exist on their own with their own kind of quirks. And in Prismere, um, in the uh, realm of Hither, we meet the Soggy Court. And the Soggy Court is made up of bullywugs that are kind of arranged in this shanty town, like uh, village around hmm. one of the hags uh, cottages. And uh, it is, it is a hilarious place. I got to work on, on that part of the book and it just, oh, nice. it still brings me a, like, it brings me joy and it just makes me smile. And uh, every time I get to work with it.
0: I mean, every time uh, you say, I, I see it, the images of a, of a bully wug in a, in a, uh, waistcoat uh, with tails and a, and a top hat and a cane, it just makes me smile.
2: Yeah, the, these Bullywugs are very much into courtly intrigue and gossip and wanting to know everything that's going on with each other. And it's also ruled by a king. Um, but the throne or the throne changes hands pretty quickly and often through violent means. Oh. So the, the, the regime changes are not not peaceful, and uh, so it's it, one of the things the character the characters can get involved in some of that uh, some of that intrigue uh, as they pass through uh, pass through uh, the soggy court.
0: That's so cool. Uh, what are, are there internal rules or or uh, things that are going on in the soggy court that you know players can discover?
2: Well, they can they can. Uh, they can discover a plot to overthrow the current king, who is mm. King Gullop the 19th. And uh, they they can either choose they could they could choose to uh, help the uh, the usurpers or help Gullop. Um, so that's you also discover along the way that uh, there that Gullop is kind of under the gun already and already feeling some pressure of his uh, his early reign because. There was a uh, a prison break, and some of uh, some of the hag's prisoners escaped. And so that yeah, you can when the characters show up to uh, to the soggy court, there's stuff already happening, already stuff in motion, all sorts of gossip uh, for uh, for the the rest of the uh, the bullywugs there.
0: That's awesome. Uh, and I guess I, you know as we're talking through this, I'm uh, we, we use the kind of word court pretty freely, but. That doesn't necessarily mean a place or, or or any location. How would you define what it what means? What means a, a court of the Feywild?
2: Um, I mean, oftentimes it's associated with it with a place because that's where uh, the rule, like the Archfey or whoever is in charge of that court, would hold court. So the idea of oh, holding court is probably more meaningful than than the location itself. And so, basically, people who are in the, uh, the phase favor or people who are, you know, vying for that favor, um, would, uh, kind of interact in that court. And there are those who might've fallen out who kind of exist on the edges of, of, of the court now and court life or have left entirely in disgrace. And so the way that that is organized is very much, you know, can vary court to court. And it's also something to build out. Uh, of where that happens—is it a fixed location? Is it associated with something more magical in nature? Does it only happen under certain kind of magical conditions, when you know the moon is out in some sort of phase or in some season or something like that? Uh, does it happen when it's the first you know uh, cherry blossoms are out? That's when you know the court is held. Or is it constantly uh, being held at this one location? Mm. Uh, so those are all things to determine. In the case of the Soggy Court, uh, there is actually a place where there is a throne where the king king uh, kind of holds court. And uh, there are all these uh, Bullywug courtiers that uh, that get to hang around him.
0: Yeah, so I, I immediately get called to mind of uh, the more medieval idea of there being a ruler in a throne room. And then the courtiers are... You know, uh, have have a rank status within them. Or so yep. some are, you know, some are dukes and are, you know, uh, just one step down from the king, but some are much lower level and been invited because they maybe they just play music or they're jesters or whatever. They are, they're amusing to the court. Uh, and then that's also uh, using the word court, that idea of where um, legal uh, petitions are decided mm-hmm. by the king, right?
2: Yep, absolutely. Um, there's, there is actually a uh, table um in the wild beyond the witch light where if you are to create some of these bullywug nobles who are part of this court there are uh two tables one for just bullywug names but then there's also soggy court honorifics so you can roll on that on that table and you might roll like do you have a d8 handy
0: i do all right roll the d8 all right i got a eight
2: you have an eight so you would your your bullywug's character name would be Ufgunk. Uh, now roll one more time up for the second table to see the honorific. 7. Okay, so you are Ufgunk, the Moss-crowned Knight.
0: Oh. Uffgunk, the Moss-crowned Knight. Ma- yeah. No, moss-crowned. Yeah. Uh, I love tables uh number 1. I think just being able to come up with something like that uh on the fly is amazing and I think with this inspiration uh Folks who are excited to explain this idea and create other courts uh, could do so very easily, uh, and use the absurdity of of this idea to really show uh, drama, dramatic scenes for for the players.
2: Yeah, and part of the fun with with working on things like the like the soggy court was how thinly you can kind of slice a part of the Feywild and still kind of play in that space of just like yeah, there's a whole court that lives in this kind of narrow band of Overblown kind of, you know, overblown sense of uh courtly etiquette and just you know all of that kind of stuff and just play with bullywugs in a different way that they you know that they that they are this kind of they have this sense of refinement at the same time they, their clothes are, are are all kind of like rotting away because they're <laughs> in the swamp and this is but it's, it's high fashion for them and it is just it's it's a wonderful thing it is what it's one of the things my my favorite parts of working on the book
0: for sure. Yeah, and it's important too. To, uh, you mentioned something about like falling out of favor and things like that and like that is so important to people who are members of this court, right? Like it, it is it is a little bit just like a club of being like, "All right, well, you know, I got kicked out of my my book club." And I'm like, oh, well, that doesn't really matter." But like to end the, yeah. them, this is the most important aspect of their lives is their st- status and rank within this this court. Uh and you can come up with all types of absurd Ways to show that to the players or have them, you know, perhaps get out of favor or in favor with various courts. The characters can earn
2: honorifics. They could actually become members of the Soggy Court. Oh, no way. And, uh, and of course, that's such a valuable gift, you know, and it's just, yeah, it just, I, I think it's wonderful.
0: I can't wait for uh, players and DMs to encounter the Soggy Court, but then also make up uh, their own uh, as they go through their adventures in the Feywild. Yeah, cool I want stuff. to hear
2: about the courts that people create. I want to hear, like, I want to see that kind of happen.
0: Me too. Uh, but gosh, yeah. I, now I just want to create a table that is randomly creating a court, too. <laughs> How fun would that be? Awesome. Well, thanks, Ari, for uh, stopping by to talk to us about the courts of the Feywild. Uh, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight comes out on September 21st, very soon. And it is going to spark imaginations all around the world. And I, I like you said, I can't wait for people to uh, let us know about what they create and what adventures they get up to so what's the best way for them to get in touch with you
2: um at A. Levitch on twitter and yeah tell me about your courts
0: sweet all right well i'm gonna make, i'm gonna create the uh, uh sudsy court uh which is all about uh, drinking beer
2: that sounds wonderful let's, uh, <laughs> let's go to that court now
0: yeah let's do it cheers all right all right thanks Ari. bye <laughs> I am in awe of Ari Levitch and how he can bring such uh, great uh, discussions and descriptions of the Feywild to life. Uh, You guys are all really in a treat for when uh, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight comes out on September 21st.
1: I feel like if I could go back to school and major in the Feywild, I would. I I want to know all the things.
0: Better than theater studies and English, the two things I did major in
1: maybe um i don't know about the usefulness of that but maybe not more or less maybe about equal
0: you know th- three majors is the charm is what i was <laughs> told uh, oh it's so fun very exciting well uh, we're all about to get a education in how to combine fandoms with star trek and D here uh with our interview with noah so let's welcome him to the podcast Everyone, let's welcome Noah Aberback Katz
3: to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Yay! Yahoo! <woo! laughs> I got the woohoo clap treatment. I feel oh, very yeah. special. Very
1: enthusiastic studio audience.
3: Hell yeah. <laughs> <Every time. laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. You guys really worked yourself up for like 20 minutes beforehand for that too. The audience doesn't know that, but you guys. Yes. Jumping around, deep breathing technique. Jumping
1: jacks, <laughs> Red Bulls, meditation. Exactly.
3: We're our own uh, uh, warm-up
0: comedians. Uh, mm. we <laughs> get the crowd really jazzed for it. <laughs> you use all your best
3: material. We Come on, do. you got to save some for the podcast.
1: Our, right. Yes, our warm-up is usually like 10 minutes of us talking about our kids. <laughs> <laughs> that
3: true. That's why you're so energized afterwards. Yes, right. that's With right. With anger. Uh, Ooh, but we're excited
0: the to talk to you, Noah, because you are uh, a, well, a longtime D&D fan. You were uh, a cast member of uh, season three of Star Trek Discovery, and that was all happening during lockdown uh, in Toronto, and... I I don't know. I mean, I can ask you this: Was it your idea to start playing Dungeons and Dragons with some of the cast members?
3: Yes. So uh, I am the uh, DM of you know the hashtag Disco Does D anD I don't know if that's. I know that's what we're calling our group for celebration, but we'll see if we call it that going forward because it's so much of a hashtag. We're still trying to sort sort out if there's another pun in there. But anyway, <laughs> I I Staying DM alive. you know exactly so. I want to take full credit for starting everything. And so I will, which is that it was my idea uh, when I, so, so I, I was shooting the show in 2019 at the end of 2019, but I was also living up in Toronto with my wife, Mary Wiseman, who plays uh, Tilly on the show. And so I was up there and I had been playing D and D getting into it. And I wanted to like, Bring it up to the cast up in Toronto, but that year it didn't really happen. I, and then I was on the show, so it didn't make sense for me to also be running this game as well. Um, and it didn't really happen that year. But that was the that was when the seed was planted, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Um, and then in 2020, when we everyone was sort of planning to head back up to the show to shoot season four, it was still like early pandemic 2020 madness. Mm. Um, And nobody knew how much people could hang out together, if it could at all. I mean, it wound up being that, you know, shooting finished, principal shooting finished, like right as the sort of vaccine rollout was happening in the States, but it it didn't really finish for a while until uh, in Canada. And so it turned out like we really couldn't see each other in person almost at all the entire time we were shooting. So people were really kind of like, you know, what the hell are we going to do? We don't want to keep having these Zoom martinis. We're getting sick of them, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, and, uh, you know, everybody sort of sees each other on set. So all of the good gossip has already been spilled during the day. (laughs) And so. I I can't, you know, I think what happened was Anthony put a tweet out that he was playing D&D again with his friend and was really enjoying it. And I was like, ooh, well, you know, maybe that might happen. And then I think Mary texted Blue and they were like, well, I really want to play. And so there was like this group text chain uh, (laughs) that was going around, but I wasn't even in on. And Blue was like, Noah has to DM. And then there was like a pre-shooting meeting where everyone was just kind of like talking and either Anthony and Blue or maybe both of them were like, yeah, we're also playing D&D and Noah's DMing. And I was like, oh, that's, that's news to me. Okay, all right. That's definitely <laughs> happening then. Uh, so it was some combination of me planting the seed and then Blue and Anthony willing it into existence from there. And that's sort of how we all got started. I love that. Uh, so Anthony Rapp, who we had
0: on uh, er, uh, earlier this year, uh, talking about his history with the game, um, and Blue DelBario, who uh, also is on, in the cast uh, for season three, uh, those are two of the folks who are going to be joining uh, for this game and D&D celebration.
3: Who, who else is going to be uh, joining? Your, your wife, Mary? Yes, very excited. That's basically everyone. And the the, the final per- well, there's actually two more people. From Discovery... We also have Ian Alexander, um, who is also in season three, and uh, Blue and Ian, Mary and Anthony all are in season four as well. Uh, and we have a very special guest for Star Trek fans, tabletop fans, D&D fans, fans of anyone with good taste, you know. Uh, 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 will, will Wheaton will be joining us as well as a player, uh, which is I don't know. I, I, Greg, Definitely. you know, we've been sort of working together to make this happen, and we've been on many Zooms with Will, and hopefully Will won't listen to this, and we both embarrass ourselves. But every time he comes <laughs> on, I can just feel me and Greg sort of like look at each other and be excited and be like, wow, this is so cool. Yeah. Uh, so I'm pretty nervous, but I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, so that that's our, that's our group. It's me DMing, Anthony Rapp, Blue Del Barrio, Ian Alexander, Mary Wiseman, and Will Wheaton. That's amazing. Uh, That's yeah, each, great. I have. I have a. It's like here in the background a, a
0: hoodie sweatshirt that has one of I see uh, that. Wesley Crusher's uniforms from I, see uh, that. I think the first season of of Next Generation. Luckily, I don't think I've worn that any time that he's been on a Zoom call because I feel like that would be awkward. <laughs> uh, mm. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I've had that exact same uh, uh, excitement that you have. Uh, yeah, you know. if you were
3: to put that on, I'm not bailing you out of that one, Greg. You're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fanboy. Play like, it cool, man. <laughs> right.
1: Um, I am a fan girl, and I there was no
3: hiding that. Can I tell you yes. my
1: Will Wheaton story?
3: Absolutely. I mean, okay. I'm going to tell Will, so just be careful.
1: He, he I'm sh- I think he knows. Okay. Um, but anyway, it was it was a long time ago. So I had I was at Book Expo America as part of my job here at Wizards when we were publishing children's books, but I had also written my own book about D&D that Wizards also published. Anyway, I am, you know, a child of the 80s, so I grew up watching um, my favorite movie, Stand By Me.
3: Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um,
1: so I had, like, a little bit of a crush on Willie.
3: <laughs>
1: and when I say little, I mean enormous, <laughs> enormous crush. <laughs> he was my favorite. So, um... Or at BEA, and he's there as well, signing a copy of his latest book. And I was with my coworker and friend, Nina Hess. And she was like, oh, my God, it's Will Wheaton. Like, <gasps> and I was just like, all of a sudden, I'm like 10 again. Like, oh, oh, my God. Like, I am a grown woman. Like, calm down. But no. <laughs> but we, like, go to like sign, have him sign something for us. Or, or actually, she was the one. She's like, I just want to go say hi to him because he was, you know, doing a lot in gaming and D&D. And let's just go say Hello. Well, he saw our badges that said Wizards of the Coast, and he was like, "Oh my God, you guys are from Wizards! Oh my God, like d and i I'm a huge fan." And we were, and she was very articulate and friendly and talking, and I just stood in the background. Like, oh. <laughs> and then he saw my name, and that, no joke, he goes, "Oh my God." You wrote Confessions of a Part-Time Sorceress.
3: I love that book.
1: And he stood up and was like, "I love that book." And I seriously got like lightheaded. Unreal. Huh? What? (laughs) Like nothing that mind blowing has ever happened to me in my entire life. Like I do feel like I remember Nina's hand like on my back, like stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up. You're okay. Um, And then he like came to our booth after and. Like, all the Wizards employees were just geeking out. But he was, like, so sweet and normal and nice and just loving on the d d that it just, it became okay. But, like, I still, like, I'm, like, getting a little <laughs> shaky even retelling that story. <laughs> but it was, he was such a delight. So, I'm, you know, then we we actually, like, had to work with him professionally. So, I, I still, like, try to be cool. Mm-hmm. You got to keep you know. it together. I do now, yeah. But I do feel That's like awesome. he's one of us, which is what D&D does. It's, it's like, true. It's the equalizer. It just, <laughs> it's very here true. We're all for the same reason.
3: We all speak the same language, which is rolling dice and yes. playing games. Come on. Yeah. Yes.
0: Right? Uh, and I mean, you know, his career during the 2000s of being a blogger as well as like this, yeah. uh, you know, kind of tell-all uh, way of expressing himself was such, I think, really... Uh, important for that time era, mm-hmm. at least for me as a, as a as a geek living through that that era, <laughs> and then to see him start playing D anD D with uh, the Actors Incorporated crew, uh, you know, yeah. was a big reason for why I flocked to uh, to D anD D as much as I, I, I did afterwards. So
3: yeah, uh, I think I think I I really understood his D anD D connection through Critical Role when I saw him yeah. on on season one. There, I just thought that was so cool and. And spawn the legend of touching the dice and everything. It's just been awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
0: So I know I never thought that the, the when I was growing up that science fiction and Star Trek would have so much uh, connection with fantasy and and Dungeons and Dragons. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that those two things aren't quite as separate as my brain made them. Yeah, to be.
3: you know, I mean, on the unlike the actor side. I feel like actors are jumping from genres so much more frequently now. You don't really get to see actors as pigeonholed into a drama or into a genre as you used to. So you have more crossover there. Um, and you also have a lot more nerds on set now. You know, like Anthony is king geek. Like he knows everything about anything geek. And so he's like just completely on top of everything. And I, Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, too, because I've been uh, sort of dipping my toe back into older editions and looking through Spelljammer and stuff like that. And and just how fun it is to sort of take that idea. And, uh, you know, everyone just sort of wants to have that experience of adventuring through wherever, whether it's space, uh, whether it's, you know, a haunted forest or whatever it's it's been it's been really fun and you know on my end it's been amazing how, you know, especially when it first was sort of happening, but the level of crossover between Trek fans and d d fans was yeah. just wild. You know, so many people coming out and saying, oh, I'm so excited you're doing this. Let me send you something. Let me send you dice or minis. And, <laughs> and just like such amazing support from everybody and, and people being so excited. Because I do think like building those bridges makes people feel like, Oh, you know, we don't have, I don't have to pick and choose one anymore. I can sort of have it all. I can have everything, uh, which is amazing. Um, So, so it's just been, it's just the response from, from fans has been amazing. uh, And the response from like other people in the acting community has been amazing. People have been so interested about it and yeah, it's just been, it's just been a lot of, of fun.
0: There was so much uh, uh, chatter, I I remember, when you guys started doing those after-action reports. Yeah. The the Disco Does D&D hashtag. (laughs) Uh, You know, just beyond just being like, hey, I played and it was cool. Yeah. there There was this sense of, like, you were telling the story of what happened at the session uh, in such a w- illustrative way that people really latch on, and be like, "Oh, wait, no, these are not just—they're not just dropping in and yeah. playing, you know, a, a little bit here and there. Like, no, this is their this is their uh, downtime. This is how they
3: bond as a cast." It, it really, you know, it really was, you know, it really was how he bonded because of the pandemic, because. Things were so strict up in, and and rightfully so. They were so strict on set and so strict in Canada. And everybody's really taking it seriously, you know, because you really had the sense that if there was one slip up, one mistake, you could get a lot of people sick, mm. uh, especially on a film set when everybody's so close and people are having to work, you know, as carefully as possible. You didn't want to mess it up but you also wanted to stay in touch with people and it was just such a great way to bond. Yeah. And this is what I'm sure a lot of people's experience of D and D was over 2020 and, and into 2021 is it really gives you a venue to have new stories with people and have adventures with people and bond with people and see, you know, a bunch of different facets of people that you you can only get through, you know, going on adventures in real life. And, and D&D is such a great substitute for that. Uh, and also, you know, when I was sort of building our home game, I was really trying to tailor it to these players and really tell, you know, not have it be sort of just rolling through the forest and there's a fight or, you know, a little bit looser. It was a really tight tailored story to each of their characters, to the backstories that they came up with, to the sort of secrets that they they laid in because there was so little place to kind of feel like you were in control of the world to gift that control or gift that like, you know, feeling like you are on a, a path and you're not sort of the whims of, of reality Uh, I think it was just, it just felt good. It felt good for me. And I think everybody really just felt like it was just a place where they could really escape and, Mm. and just have a, a really engaging and exciting and, you know, a good experience. And and I think, you know, Anthony's recaps were such a, such a, a reflection of how invested everybody was in that story, invested in their own characters, invested in their point of view of their characters, which I think was really fun. Um, and I think everybody really got a lot from it. Uh, and, and I'm really excited to get to share that with everybody. We'll be, you know, Will hasn't played with us before, so that will sort of be the wild card. But, mm-hmm. you know, these characters, we, we've, they've laid dormant for a while, while now that we've been back in the States and had the chance to see each other in person again. Uh, but um, it'll be really fun to pick these characters back up bring their personalities back in already fully formed, you know, they're, they're level seven characters. So they've been through a lot together already. So I think it'll be a, a really fun experience for the audience to see, see their, you know, favorite actors, not just sort of dropping in and playing a one-off character, but to sort of see the, the relationships that they've formed over the past year. That's
1: cool. So these are the same characters that are the characters we'll see at celebration. Are they're the same characters that the group has been playing?
3: That's right. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's, that's yeah. Going to be really fun.
3: Yeah, they're, they're, we're we're having a a very brief like one hour pickup game. Uh, it'll be this Friday at, at the time this comes out. It will have already passed, but just like a private game, so we could remember. You know, what, you know what? What is the auction economy? How do I do this with seventh <laughs> level? What spells do I have? You know, because it's it's been a while, but. I have a feeling, you know, that's just mechanic-wise. Character-wise, I think they're going to dive back in like they never even left. Nice. Yeah, and I
0: love the idea. It's almost like a Star Trek episode where you can take uh, <laughs> yeah. those those characters that everyone knows and is familiar with and all of a sudden put them in something like the Witchlight Carnival, exactly. which would be very different and then exactly. they end up being that fish out of water uh type of thing.
3: Yeah, I think it's it it, it is fun with a with a sort of like more one-shotty adventure. It is on the sort of like, you know, Star Trek style railroad where you're just sort of moving forward and like uncovering different parts of the plot and having these different encounters with sort of charging forward as you sort of unravel what what the hell's going on. Uh, so it, I think it'll be familiar and fun. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited.
1: That's going to be
3: great. I and feel... I'm ex- Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Shelley. Oh,
1: no, I want to hear what you have to
3: say. I, well, I'm i also just excited for the setting. You know, we we've never really done anything like that before. I also feel like a carnival is just like the perfect D and D venue. You know, <laughs> when I, when I'm you great. originally sent that to me, Greg, it's like, you can just, there's just so much mischief, so much fun, so much weirdness at a carnival. Uh, so, so I'm really excited to see how they experience that. And I, I'm curious, you know, everything, sometimes they get into very Problem solving. Let's charge through this. We're gonna, you know, just nail this perfect every time, and maybe they'll just, you know, slide right through it. But it's mm. also possible that Ian could be like, "I'd really like to buy some bananas right now," and that could take up literally the entire one shot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I was actually going to say, I feel like the carnival is just a dungeon master's dream because yeah. you can. There's oh so God. much that you can do with it. Like it, it can be your portal into the Feywild or it could just be really fun downtime activity for the mm-hmm. players. Um, so I, I am also curious to see what you end up doing with that. Now, do the players know anything about this? Like, do they, do they know how they're... how they they're... know
3: anything about this? Not really.
1: Okay, oh good. <laughs> even better. And do you yeah. know how you're going to present the... Is it? I don't want to be too spoilery, but...
3: When does you, the book actually... When does it come out? When does this... It's the 15th, it, right?
1: The 21st. So it'll, oh, the book be, comes out on when the 21st. this is aired, it, it will already have been out. But, I mean, there's... I'm just curious, like, what Dungeon <laughs> Masters are going to do with the carnival. Like, is it just going to, like, spring up? Or is it, like, you are anticipating its arrival because it well, shows up every eight years and you know it's time?
3: For this one shot... Uh, what I have sort of devised is that they have been hired by one of the owners of the carnival to find something that has gone missing. So that will um, bring them to the carnival. uh, You know, just to, I just, I want to get them in right away, you know? Um, However, and I don't think this is a spoiler, uh, because Will's character is new, I wanted to... um, bring it a little bit more from the book. So the prompt I gave him, which I haven't heard back yet. So there's this extremely high chance he'll reject that and be like, no, I ride in on a motorcycle with a machine gun. And just say, <laughs> you're 100% right. In fact, that's what I had written now that I'm looking at it again. But the prompt I've offered to him is that uh, like many people who have snuck into the witch-like carnival, something of his has gone missing and he's finally been able to return to, uh, to retrieve it. So uh, I, I, I'm hopefully hopefully that will will tie in in some way as well as we I hear a little bit more from him about character ideas. Oh, that's
1: cool! Oh, I love it so much.
3: Yeah,
0: um, is it worth talking about some of you know the, your world that you had created the homebrew uh, setting and boy, wh- uh, you know what's exciting about that? I always love hearing about you know folks uh, world building. Yeah, and how it's contributed know, with the with the cast and everything.
3: That's an interesting question. Well, I, I started them out. I started with uh, essentially like the skeleton of uh, Dragon of Icefire Peak in Mm -hmm. Um, I I wanted to give them, you know, Anthony had played some before, but not for a long time. Blue had played a little bit before and had watched some actual play. Ian was pretty much... Uh, brand new. Uh, and Mary had listened to the Adventure Zone a lot and had played, you know, sort of dropped into a, a game I was playing with my friends a couple of times. So I had an understanding of the game work, but I wanted to give them a really, I, I want to say like classic, but it's more like a mod, like a modern, you know, 5e classic D&D experience. I wanted them to have a reference point for Fandolin. you know what I mean? Because I feel like so many people who play have that reference point. And I wanted them to feel like if they went and played with somebody else who was playing in the Forgotten Realms, that they could just sit at that table and know what's going on. So, you know, I moved them from up to Neverwinter, and even though there's not a huge, you know, guide on Neverwinter, just, you know, all the other places on that larger map, I reference that we're all, you know, very much in-world, in-canada of the Forgotten Realms, because I feel like sometimes with new players, especially new players I feel like sometimes in nerd culture, well, this is not going to come as a surprise, in nerd and geek culture, there's a lot of gatekeeping, you know, mm. especially for new people, especially who have people who kind of feel on the outside of it to begin with. And I wanted to really bring them into, like, the heart of it, you know, let's go into the forgotten realms, let's go into this thing, and and that way you really feel ownership of the, the whole thing. It's not that we have to make our own special thing where, you know, which there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but that you know, I just wanted them to feel welcome in the, the main, the main meat of it. Um, But then within that, I was able to create so much. And essentially what I did as, as a DM was just almost work backwards from the stories that they came up with their backstories. So uh, just sort of like you know, everyone just had these, because they're actors, you know, it's not challenging for them to come up with a backstory. It's, you know, it's their bread and butter. So we had all these amazing backstories and essentially I just worked backwards, you know, creating a lot of stuff that hasn't been revealed and maybe will never be revealed as is the case with many a homebrew, <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, but I think it was that sense where you really felt like, Oh, you know, this thing I wrote in my backstory, it's being hinted at. I mean, there's no better feeling than like, I, I, as a player, I, there's nothing better than when you have that dream sequence and you're like, you're about to grab the cup you've been looking for and it drifts out of your hand, but you have another clue, you know? So I, I just I just worked a lot on that. And, uh, you know, I think the thrust of the story was that um, something's up with Lathander. Something's going on <laughs> with, with that god. And maybe if they're bored when shooting season five, we'll discover just exactly what that is. Nice. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, it it was great, you know, it, it was really great and and they, I love that. I love that you did yeah. like that.
0: That whole combination of like here, it's some, it's grounded in forgotten realms. It's grounded in things that that you may recognize if you go to other games. But it's also very much their story. I think that's exactly the bread and butter of of what a good yeah. DM can do. You is know, and that that centers. way
3: they can. They know who Xanathar is. They know who Dagult Neverember is, you know, which is like so stupid, but it is cool (laughs) to know these things. I don't know. I like it. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I just want to know these things and tell them, (laughs) Dagult Neverember to Neverwinter. And here is why it's called this. And they're sitting there like with their hands in her like, please, I just want to kill a freaking zombie. (laughs) Stop telling me about Xanathar's goldfish. We don't care, you know, but.
1: That's the stuff that I know,
3: right? That's the stuff that really, really was fun for me, and 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 yeah, I don't know. I just want to give them ownership over this thing. So that was sort of my my home world.
1: I love uh, that, and i I appreciate dungeon masters that do that because I've I've played with dungeon masters that never asked for any backstory. Like they didn't even care what your character's name was. You're just like number three in the initiative (laughs) order. But and then I've played with some that really like wove in some of those details, and I really do appreciate it. But I'm just like, what? How do you do that exactly? Like, how do you know like (laughs) when to like unleash a detail, or is it like you read somebody's backstory Mm. and you're like, oh my god, now I have an amazing. That's a great. That's a great question.
3: I mean, I think a lot of it is understanding what your players are looking for out of the game. You know, I think and yourself too, and yourself as the DM. You know, for me as the DM, and I think for my players, we were looking for a lot out of this game. It was mm. the one time a week where we got to connect, where we got to forget about the fact that we were all stuck in a basement or a hotel room <laughs> away from our friends and family in Canada while we didn't know what the hell was going on. So we we were looking for a lot from this game. So everyone gave a lot to it. And I think, you know, from there... Uh, a lot of it has to do with pacing, you know, so you kind of have to just sort of judge. All right. I I want to make sure they're excited to come next week. I want to make sure that they uh, feel like there's something for them next week. And I want to make sure everybody gets a turn, you know, so a lot of the time what I would do is say, all right, this this time this person's going to encounter something from their story. And if you sort of cycle through, by the time you've gone through four or five players, um, the next person's ready and hungry again. You know, I think Mm. a lot of the time what can happen is that one person can put a lot of effort into their backstory and is that person is usually more adept at RP. And so the DM can kind of use them to drive the story forward to constantly bring their story out, Um, But you have to sort of give the rest of the players the option, at least, to say, hey, you know, here's this little story hook. I've built it up for you. Here's an opportunity for you to RP are you interested? And then they can say, yeah, you know, maybe I'm not as comfortable. Maybe it's a little herky jerky and I'm still getting my sea legs, but I'm, I'm getting into it. Or maybe they could say, nah, I don't really care. This is dumb. Let's go kill a zombie, you know? (laughs) So I I think that's part of it. And then, you know, I play in games where we're just trying to hang out and it doesn't really matter if the backstory is there or not. We just want to, you know, blow up an illithid with a grenade and and have a couple of beers, you know? So a lot of it does have to do with sort of your vibe at the table. And, uh, and you know, it's it, it can be a lot of work like really trying to string these threads together. So it's also how much time and energy you have as well. And you don't want to put that time and energy into something if your players aren't actually interested in in doing that too.
1: Yeah. I mean, that seems like a tremendous amount of prep. If you're not
3: gonna, you know, when you're sitting in a basement in Canada, you'd be shocked at how much time you have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you welcomed that amount. Of yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, it was.
0: It
3: wasn't just them; it was me too. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Holy. no, I
0: think that's such a great advice is to to go off of what your players want uh, and to have those conversations so that you know what they want uh, and and you know because there's a lot of you know nonverbal communication that you can kind of figure out whether they're they're into it or not. Um, but explicitly saying that in a session zero or, you know, doing check-ins throughout the the campaign is a great way to do that. I think I need to do that for my, uh, home campaign that I'm running uh, as well because I'm about to transition into doing a little bit more like domain and mm. and, and army management and I'm yeah. excited about that <laughs> as a DM <laughs> but I want to make sure that everybody is uh, also excited about that aspect of it and identify the folks at the table who might want to do that more while the others just want to, hey I just want to be a rank and file person right. in the army and, and and you know cut off some some zombies heads what does I found that, mean? that oh sorry what, <laughs> go ahead Jelle
1: so, Greg what does that mean? What do you like, mean? You're going to be doing what? What is your role going to be?
0: Oh, still as dungeon master, but the 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 characters are going to have uh, uh, units of armies un- under their control now, and oh. I want them to try to use like how are they going to like more like a macro scale of instead of just being like, hey, we're we're five. Uh, Greg's people. going full war Gosh. games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, he's oh, got okay. he's
3: got the full table map with the rolling hills. They're all in their uniform, squadrons moving in 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 unison. Yeah, He's going to start playing with himself, too. He's going to do the thing where he says, I just got to see how this battle goes so you guys can hang out or not. Yeah,
0: just play roll some dice over play here. <laughs> Do you have I 500 D6s I could buy?
3: Exactly. <laughs> you probably do. <laughs> I did find that, you know, especially sending a text message in, as you sort of like, there's like almost mini arcs within a, a session, you know, maybe five sessions. Oh, we've sort of accomplished this goal. And just sending a, a check and being like, hey, you know, is there anything you're liking? Is there anything you're not liking? Yeah. Is there something you'd like to see more? Is there something you'd like to add or change about your story? It just gives an opportunity for people to, to say, no, this is good. And then you can feel good about what you're doing or say, you know, I think a couple of times where people are like, hey, you know, I'd love to add this in or I keep wanting to, especially for a newer player, like I, I keep wanting to do this thing, this ability, and, uh, and I don't know how to do it. You know, Emily Cooch was playing with us for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, She played with us for most of the time. And she was constantly, she was like playing a cleric and really wanted to talk to her god and constantly kept failing her religion checks and was like, you know, I just really want to talk to this goddamn god. So (laughs) I I created a feat for her, which basically let her cast... um, not augury, but the other spell where the God tells you if this is a good idea or not, which is like a super high level spell that she really shouldn't have access to. But I was like, you know, it's going to keep her engaged and excited in the game. And she's not a power player, so she won't know how to abuse it. So I think it'll be okay. And (laughs) then Anthony started figuring out how to uh, uh, use it to his advantage. And then Emily started (laughs) figuring out how to use it to her advantage. And I was like, well, maybe this was a mistake, but at least they're using it. They're excited, you know?
0: I think that's that's really good too because you know the worst thing to feel is like hey I've got this awesome new ability when I leveled up but I can't I can't seem to execute on it in the right way and then yeah. creating the situations where uh as a dungeon master that they can succeed is you know that's that's half the fun
3: especially for new players I feel like so mm. so so often when I see I've been lucky enough to be at the table with a ton of new players who are excited and so often the frustration comes when they have something in their imagination imagination, and they don't actually have the facility with the rule set to execute the thing they want to execute. And so I, I think a DM's job with a new player is to figure out whether that's explaining the rules in a way they understand or coming up with a homebrew workaround that's a temporary solution Uh, Or that, you know, even if it's something that they have to earn at the end of the quest, you know, an item that that allows them to do the thing they want to do, that can be a really good way to circumnavigate really common frustrations of being like, I want to do this thing, but I, I don't know what a bonus action is or whatever, you know, or I, I want to use this, I want to use this thing. And you know that it's a fifth level spell and they only have third level spells. Well, maybe they could find a, an item or a scroll or a, a special feed for them or something like that.
1: Oh, cool. that's really nice of you.
3: I don't worry. I'm still cruel. <laughs> I killed them all the time. So it's, Do you? I, there is, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that uh, death and killing should be a part, well, not, you know killing of course but i think player death is is a significant part of of d d that i feel like a lot of dms can be very afraid of because it'll turn away new players if you if you kill a player um so you know done at the right time especially done at a time when you know someone can revivify them just you know when they're down smashing those last two fails into them with a with a melee attack it, it's it's a wonderful thing, man. <laughs> Everybody is paying attention all of a sudden we yeah. had this we had this incredible fight with this um zombie dragon uh, that was sort of like the culmination of you know our first arc, which was essentially like the main arc that we were able to kind of get in when we were up there, so it was sort of like the 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 main big bad of of this this little campaign, and at the end, you know this zombie dragon's on its last legs. A blues character, Bink, goes down. And then, of course, the whole group is expecting, you know, oh, well, the dragon's going to turn and get us. But I, of course, drove its tail through Bink, killed Bink. And then suddenly everybody is like, oh, my God, we have to do this. And, you know, then, you know, somebody does this miraculous, uh, you know, natural 20 to kill the dragon, runs over just in time to to save Bank and and it's this it's just a, a heroic moment, you know? So NPC death is like that too. Killing an NPC that you don't want to die, I think, uh, mm. yeah. Kill them all, man, make them oh. save them. It's not my problem. <laughs> well, that's how
0: you create tension and drama, right? I mean, that is really good advice, and I wish I you had told me this, uh, <laughs> I don't know, a couple of months ago, because I've maybe pulled it's, the punch maybe so many times recently.
3: May, I think it's being an actor and, and watching, you know, watching characters die on screen all the time. My character got blown up. I'm like, I'm not sparing you guys from this. Come on. This is this is the way it goes. You, of all people, should know this.
0: <laughs> that was your comeuppance for for exactly. death. You're like, yeah, you all I'll, still I'll get to be you. filming together, but now <laughs> yeah. it's my turn. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. On
1: screen, but not in this game.
0: Exactly. Uh, yeah, oh. I've killed a few characters, but I have pulled a punch a lot recently, and I'm now regretting it. I'm like, oh, really? man, maybe I should. Should have just given it, you know, the 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 gravitas that something like that needs, right? You know, and most of the time it's because they didn't follow the plan, and then well, things got put them down, Greg. I know, put them down. You
1: gotta learn. Well, Rick, Greg, you might remember when we interviewed um, Robert Wardall from the his campaign that's run now almost yeah. forty years now, wow. the, the longest continuous game of D anD D probably ever. That wow. he was a very big proponent of, like be when afraid dead, of death. Dead. When you are dead, you are do- you're done. Like that character goes away. <laughs> there is yeah. no bringing them back because his whole theory was your choices need to matter. The things that you do in game really have to to be impacted by the the thought that this could kill me, that I could die. Right. And they or that you the players around you could could die as a result of your actions, which it's a good lesson in real life too. <laughs> there's there's
0: consequences. Like I, I think when I ha- I have pulled the punch, I definitely made it mechanically hurt. Uh, so in one instance, I took away one of the wizards at will spells uh, when they uh, uh, you know were unconscious and then died. I was like, all right, well now you just forget that spell, and uh, you know you, that, that hurts not having. Uh, that extra at will spell doesn't hurt as much
3: as being dead it doesn't at (laughs) all so
1: so why did you not kill them greg why did you not let it happen
0: well that one was the first session that we were playing with the new campaign Mm -hmm. and i was like hi i feel like that would be off uh the most recent one was the the player couldn't make it to the session uh, and oh, so I yes. was running his character, oh, no. and I rolled really good as the as the a- a adversary. And I was like, "Man, I don't want to kill you when you weren't even here." So what I did there was I took away his memory of an NPC. Uh, so there like, you go. They had had like some kind of a like a flirty relationship, uh, yeah. and then when they go back to meet that NPC, they will have basically have that that memory no longer uh, in there. And so I was like, "Oh, then maybe this will add some role playing uh, consequences to it." I, yeah that that I like that that's good
3: that works yeah we'll see we'll see how that ends up going but i I, I agree it needs to have some well you know i i i don't know if I can say this, but i've been doing some play testing for you guys and i've Ooh. i've had some some of my friends do play testing with me. And uh, I've gotten the opportunity to basically kill all of them during playtesting Cause sometimes, you know, the balance is off or sometimes you only have three and it's very much called for four. And it's just, it is just a, uh, a horror show when we're doing playtesting <laughs> together. It's, it's oh, wonderful.
1: Make sure you put that in your feedback for me. They all died. <laughs> they and fun. it was great. And yeah. then Chris had Perkins had will read that feedback yes, and exactly. he'll be like, yes, that is what we want from this product.
3: Exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, is it standard that if a player is absent, the dun- like you, Greg, or other Dungeon Masters will play that character?
0: Not standard. It it, it depends. Uh, you know, some people are are cool with that. Uh, I think the player was like, "Yeah, no, feel free to to go ahead and and, and run them at the table." It's it's odd when it's uh, when they're in a dungeon, you know, like in the middle of a thing, and just be like, "Oh, they're gone. They're not here anymore." Oh, wait, they're back. I mean, you can certainly hand wave that, but in this situation, I think we were mid fight uh, oh, when the yeah. session began, and so I didn't mm. want to take him away. Uh, I think from- how to
3: deal with a missing player is is in the top of the list of uh, unsolvable DM problems. Mm. I feel that. Yeah, I feel like I've seen it go wrong so many times, and I've really never seen it go right. You sort of just have to pretend like they're invisible. <laughs> <laughs> where is he? Yeah, where is he? Oh, he's over there. There he is.
0: Anyway, good idea. On. Sometimes I like to use it as a, as a DM's comment on what they're doing, too. <laughs> like if the, if the player is not there, but the character is, I'll be like, and then you know, uh, uh, this character says, by the way, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Yeah, you're sure taking a long
3: time with this (laughs) door, aren't you, friends?
0: (laughs) Uh, So uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about, uh, you know, the preview of what's going to be coming from uh, this game at D&D Celebration. What are some, we already talked about the setup for the game, but like what are the characters, uh, in case people aren't familiar with uh, Disco Does D&D, the hashtag? Sure,
3: yes. Um, uh, Well, our friend Blue plays a uh, now I'm trying plays a uh, uh, trying to think of how to best describe their character a a young boy who was an elf but before the start of the campaign uh, somehow mysteriously sort of has begun to transform into a tiefling. Mm. Uh, and and this mm. is a, a wizard, a, a wizard character um, who the group feels very protective over because they're thirteen years old. So one of the reoccurring jokes in this is uh, they'll come into a tavern or a gladiatorial ring, and everyone will be like, "Oh, welcome, welcome!" And what is this child doing with you? And <laughs> so that's that's sort of one of the running jokes. Um, and that's Bink, right? You said there. The Bink. B i n k. That's cool. Uh, Yin is playing a non-binary uh, wood elf named Vivi. Uh, Vivi is like very much. Uh, oh no, uh, they're uh, they're a bard, uh, so they they're they're just sort of uh, like wonderfully light and. Uh, friendly and are, they just really love making friends with everybody. They they made friends with the manticore and you know are hoping to take the manticore out to coffee later. And Vivi <laughs> is also a very good cook as they took the chef feet early on. Nice. Um, I love uh, that manticore from uh, from from <laughs> Icefire Peak. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, Mary is playing a. Uh, female Goliath barbarian named Misha. Uh, she is sort of the last of her barbarian tribe. Um, and uh, oh, it's, a, sorry, it's a barbarian multi-class, uh, a barbarian ranger multi-class. So Ooh. she was sort of uh, in the woods uh, beneath her tribe, sort of protecting this, this sort of sacred wood and returned to find her, uh, her tribe decimated by zombies. Uh, so her favorite enemy is, is the undead. Uh, and uh, she has all these incredible tattoos all over her body that glow when she goes into a rage. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And that that's very fun character. And then I like, um I like that she's channeling a little bit of
0: uh, her uh mirror universe uh personality <laughs> in that character. I like to call that
3: just her personality. <laughs> <I was> like,
0: <laughs> you know that probably more best than anyone.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that's for all the Star Trek fans out there. Everybody always says, well, is she just is she just like Tilly, like science and nerdy, like da-da-da. And I'm like, no, she's closer to like lick my boot, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> she is killy um, and then Anthony is playing a wood elf as well, a druid named Graphenus, uh very, very, very Paul Stamets, actually, mm. sort of cantankerous, uh, uh, standoffish, but very much committed to doing what is right and the pursuit of justice, uh, even if it... Um, Rubs people the wrong way, and very invested in protecting the natural forest, as it seems like his uh, his father had once destroyed it. Mm. Um, and his his mother is part of a, a traveling theater troupe. With an- Anthony, did an incredible write up of all the different people in his troupe. Uh, who, if we ever pick back up, maybe in twenty twenty two, we will we will definitely get to meet each and every one of them. That's cool. Oh, yeah, they and like- then.
1: You could meet them at the carnival. Oh my!
3: (laughs) Yeah, except then, then it would become a a full hour session of going through (laughs) each character. Anthony reuniting with them, you know. So we could do we could do a a one off where Anthony just uh, rescues each one one by one. Yeah, a
1: little one. -one Make it a four hour session. Oh, nice.
3: Uh, And 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 Will's character is is TBD. I, but I, Greg, you know, we've heard Will say many times now that he's really interested in smashing things. So whatever he plays, I'm sure he will smash something. Nice.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, it's actually similar to what uh,
0: some of the stuff you've been saying, Shelley, about how you used to play only spellcasters. Yes. Uh, but now just love the simplicity of shooting an arrow or yeah. uh, bashing a zombie
3: head. Yeah, exactly. There's,
1: something, there's just something about that. that not really <laughs> thinking and preparing, just firing away.
3: Yeah, getting
0: older—that makes it. I think that's the thing. Is like, yeah, you know, I wanted to have everything be more complex when I was younger, but now simplicity feels like the real fantasy.
3: Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think
0: that's
1: really it. Like, I like the place that where I'm at. Like, if I'm, I feel like I I do too much in real life. Like, I just can't anymore. Especially when we were deep in the pandemic, which mm-hmm. I think is why I switched to just mm-hmm. playing a character that's like, uh, I'm just gonna pick up my bow. It and makes sense, you know. Yeah,
3: I really feel like in D anD D, everybody does play the hidden version of themselves. It's sort of like you know, there's the version that everybody has of themselves that's kind of like they need to participate in to make it through their day, and then D anD D is the time when you um, you get to you get to bring out uh, everything else that's underneath that. Uh, yeah, the different shards of yourself too. Like exactly. you know, one character can be like, "Oh
0: yeah, this is my." This is my mean face. Uh this is my ultra, you know, <laughs> happy go lucky
3: uh f- f- yeah. tree hugging face. <clears throat> this is this is my uh patient dad face and yeah. this is my D and D face, which is I'm gonna hit you with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I don't want to uh, see that. So
0: uh this is very exciting. I think the, the Disco Does D&D story of forming the group is almost as entertaining as, as what you guys have been doing <laughs> uh, at the table itself. But I'm excited for uh, the audience at D&D Celebration to you know, get a little uh, look into what it's been like with you guys playing over Zoom and uh, uh, exploring
3: these characters with new players, with returning players. It's It's a great mix. Yeah, you know, I think we have this kind of really unique thing, which is like, we needed this game so badly that we never really did anything public other than these sort of text recaps. So, you know, it, it really kind of is a peek into a bit of a home game, which I think is, is kind of rare actually, you know, especially nowadays. So I I hope that will be sort of fun and, and unique. And you can really sort of feel the um, camaraderie uh, and, and experience that everybody has with each other and hopefully, you know, Will will fit right
1: in. I'm sure you will. Um, but I have to just ask, because it does seem like you you all have so much fun in this in this game. And you're like, you spoke about the camaraderie and all, but there are other cast and crew members. Um, and how do they feel about this game? Are they ever like, oh, I wish somebody well, would invite me to play D&D?
3: You know, uh, early on, we tried to get Wilson Cruz, who plays Culver, on the show. He was was thinking about doing it. And I was like, okay, you know, Wilson, absolutely, you know, da-da-da. And I just sort of was constantly going over the rules. And I think at some point he said, I'm not doing this. There's no way. It's not happening. Oh, no. As I sort of, like, kept explaining the rules. And so he didn't do it. But... You know, uh, Sonequa, uh Martin Green, who plays Burnham and her husband, Kenrick, they texted me and said, hey, you know, for Sinequa's birthday, we want to play D&D with you guys. Oh. And I obviously couldn't say no. So I yeah. put together a little one shot for them, uh, with our little home game, which I think they had fun. I, I, if I were going to do it again, I probably would have de-leveled everyone. Cause I think that I threw them in the deep end a little bit because I was so obsessed with, you know, we're all level five characters now. And that was probably my bad. We should have been a little bit, uh, simpler, but nonetheless, I think they had fun. And I was really surprised because Sinequa came in and was just like, I am the goddess Illyrium and I will strike down my she was just like totally serious, like in it. And I sort of prepared like a jokey birthday one shot, and she was like, I slice the blade across my arm, the blood runs red. And I was like, uh, okay, like uh, yeah, no, that you do that. It's it's terrifying. Everybody is scared, you know. Including so uh, me, uh, right exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So that was really fun and uh You know, I think part of it was like, (laughs) we just got so tunnel visioned about this story and stuff that we didn't like bring too many uh, people in. Part of it is that it's so challenging to bring somebody in over Zoom who's never played before. You know, so my hope is next year um, uh, when we can do this in person, you know, everybody can come over. We can have the table out. People can sit down at the table, you know, Anthony can lean over and rules lawyer them into knowing how to play the game. So it, it will just be sort of a more relaxed and, you know, you it, that feeling you can drop in and drop out can kind of uh, come a little bit easier. Um, but everybody sort of had an eye on it. It was definitely the the talk of the town because there wasn't much else to talk about. <laughs> right. There, was, there like, wasn't a lot of bar uh, hopping going exactly. on in Toronto. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, you know, everybody sort of had an eye on it. So I suspect if if we if we pick it up uh pick up a home game next year, then we will we'll definitely have people coming in and out, especially if we get to do it in person.
0: Have you heard of any folks who were only Star Trek fans and not D&D fans who oh, paid tons. attention and learned about it and then you guys got to actually play at a and d yeah, convention tons.
3: recently? Yeah, well, we yeah, tons of people were like it was three. It was three types of people. It was people who are, you know, I'm a huge D and D fan. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. This rules. It was people who were like, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I know nothing about D and want to watch you play, or I'm going to check this out, or. You know, I've been on the fence about D and D for a long time, and I think this is what I what is going to sort of push me over to the edge. My friends been bothering me about it, so I'm going to do it. And we there was also a ton of people who, you know, I haven't played in years, and I think this is this is my motivation to start playing again. So it it was it was great to see so many because I think you know there's just like so much talk about D and D in the sort of nerd sphere. And people want to know what the what the big deal is about. So Mm. when we were sort of just explaining it, there was so little conversation about um, rules or or, which I mean, look, I love the rules. I'm I'm you know that's one of my favorite parts. But it can turn if you if if you have no context for it, you just it just sort of (laughs) sounds like gobbledygook. But I, I think because it was like, oh no, this feels like a story. I want to be a part of and if they they can do it they you know they don't have any tools that aren't available to me or to my friend who's running a game then i can definitely go do it so there was i feel like a ton of people who tried dnd for the first time or um uh got back into it uh because of that and and we so we we actually played at star trek las vegas which is this big convention yeah. uh it's sort of like you know the big star trek convention that happens every year in las vegas uh I had done many a Star Trek podcast and one of the people who I had done a podcast with knew some of the producers of the convention in Vegas. And I had gotten added pretty late on. So I sent them an email like, Hey, you know, we have this thing. Uh, Would you give us a time to do it? And they didn't email me back because they were like, I don't know what to talk about. And then I emailed again. (laughs) I was like, Hey, just checking in again. any, any thoughts? And Shelly, uh, a woman who works at creation was kind enough to email me back and was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so we got on a zoom and I desperately tried to explain what D and D was, how a live show works, what it would require. And eventually I was just like, look, if you can give me two hours, five microphones and a table, everything will be great. Uh, And she nodded and said like, okay, so, you know, we didn't have any kind of table or projection screen. It was just like us, microphones. And, uh, you know, while I was like signing autographs throughout the week, I was, you know, hey, you know, if you're not doing anything Sunday night, come see the game. And some people were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But everybody, you know, of course, Star Trek fans mm-hmm. are the best. So everybody was was very kind and excited. But I'll tell you, you know, we had a, a really good audience there, especially for the end of the convention. And it seemed like a 50-50 split uh, of people who knew nothing about D&D but had an amazing time and then people who knew about D&D and were off the rockers, excited. It was so great. We had a bit of a delay in the beginning, and I was—I sort of just did like an impromptu Q and A so people could show up. And there were so many questions uh, that were like deep lore D and D questions <laughs> coming from people wow. in a Starfleet uniform. And I was like, "All right, okay, this is good. You, you people, you'll you'll understand." Um, so and cool. a lot of people like came up to me afterwards and was like, "Look, I." I'm not totally sure what happened. I don't really know what was going on. You, you know, saving checks, whatever. But I had an amazing time because it was really, you know, it was, it was a fun performance. It was, it was a very rules light show. Uh, Mary Chief. Uh, it was, it was Anthony. Blue, Mary Wiseman, and then Mary Chifo uh, from season one and two came in and I think she had played for the first time the day before without me. So this was her second game. Wow. Uh, and she knocked it out of the park. So she was kind of the audience surrogate for people who didn't know what was going on. But it was it was a blast. And I was, uh, <laughs> for, again, for me and me alone, I was like, Perfect. I'll put it in a nautiloid ship and that will be our tie-in. And, and I'll use a, a, a transportation circle as a transporter. It's excellent, you know? And so uh those are my little science fiction nods that uh really only entertained me. But <laughs> I felt like it's in some way, it felt like, you know, we Grounded. beam over to the to the vessel and we have to figure out what's going on here. Uh, but it was very fun and silly and 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 like nothing that's been in a Star Trek convention before, and hopefully something that will be at at more Star Trek conventions.
0: What I love about that story, though, is that it's basically paying it uh, forward from Will joining. Uh, oh, uh, totally. incorporated back in like 2008, right? Like it felt totally. like people who had no idea what Dungeons and Dragon dragons was paid attention to that podcast, uh, and then it it just started that this whole idea of playing. As a performance, as a way to introduce people into what this game is, yeah, uh, and you know, we're seeing the end result of it now with uh, with the, you know the the proliferation of streaming and everything that's been going on, and even you know uh, what you are going to be doing here at D anD D Celebration, just being like, okay, yeah, no, we're we're this is a through line for the last twelve years of 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 this rebirth of Dungeons and Dragons, and it all comes down to. Will Wheaton, actually. Absolutely. I love that.
1: (laughs) Just like this podcast. It all started with how much we love Will Wheaton. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you know that, no? That this this actual RSS feed used to be where that podcast was hosted? And then... Oh, my God. This should
3: just be called... This is just the Will Wheaton Appreciation Podcast. What are we doing here? I mean, yes. That's amazing. tracks. So fun. Well, thank you so much... you, go yeah. Ahead. No. good. No. I was just going to say it was Anthony's idea to sort of bring Will into this thing, and and really, I can't imagine it without him at this point. It's just, it's just so awesome to have him be a part of this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree. Uh, and thanks for you uh, for for. I know you, we've been talking about this for. <laughs> got eight months now uh, (laughs) trying to get this game together uh, through various (laughs) ways and so I'm so excited to have, you know, been able to hang out with you and talk with you and uh, your exuberance for Dungeons & Dragons is, is palpable and I really think that's going to be the through line for, for getting people to
3: watch uh, this game. Uh, well, thank you guys so much. And thanks for all your hard work, Greg. We have definitely been through the trenches together trying to make this happen. So <laughs> I, I'm super excited that it's finally coming Very together. dedicated. The <laughs> All right, so when is it? It's, it's sun, uh, Friday. Friday. It's Friday the 24th from 11 to 1 Pacific time, 4 to... Some other time, Eastern time. Not great with math or time, (laughs) but you'll all figure it out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just, yeah. They they can check dndcelebration.com for the full schedule. Nice. Um,
3: Uh, And
0: if folks want to pay attention to what you're doing, uh, Noah, what's the best way for them to do
3: that? Oh, right. Yeah, well, definitely come watch this stream. That's really the most important thing. Who are we kidding? If you want to keep up to date with me, you can follow me on Twitter at N underscore A underscore K, or you can come play Star Trek video games with me on Twitch at the Type One Trekkie. Nice.
1: You know, we didn't touch on that, and I wanted to. You're um, uh, activism yes, I, and fundraising for.
3: I uh, I have uh, been working with an organization called T1 International that does. Um, fundraising and organizing for insulin affordability, both in the United States and around the world. Uh, so if you want to learn more about that, just message me on Twitter and I'll hook you up. That's wonderful.
1: My uh, so. good friend and neighbor's um, son has type 1 diabetes. So when I saw that. I very much appreciate your you uh, activism and, and wanting to raise awareness for, for that very worthy cause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, thanks for being on. Noah, can't wait for this game and uh, I hope you kill at least uh, half of the
3: characters. <laughs>
1: I, I hope you have a great time, but not kill.:
3: The carnival ends <laughs> in a bloody mess. the characters <laughs> I end. Mean, Here the, is where the stories ends, 45 could, minutes into the presentation.
1: <laughs> the, the snails and the snail racing could just go buck wild oh, wow. and just run off the track and who knows?
3: Mm, I can't really think it happened.
1: Now I want to be a dungeon master. There you go. Come it's on, happens. Shelly. It's happened.
3: Come on, <laughs> the Shelly. Snails
1: are the snails have loose.
3: The murder has They're really gotten got to them. you
1: three to four days. So
3: awesome. Okay.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Noah. And uh, Thank happy rolling.
3: Thank you, guys. Thank
1: you. Yay.
0: What a dream talking to Noah Aberbach katz about all of the fun stuff that he is doing around
1: Dungeons & Dragons. Yay! That's going to be so fun.
0: D&D Celebration is going to be a party. A party.
1: It's going to be a celebration.
0: A celebration today. Ba-na-na-na-na. Yeah, what's the soundtrack for, for D&D Celebration? You're just going to have nonstop party music happening?
1: Well, I don't know. Like, what do you think at the carnival? What would that be like?
0: I wanted to be a mashup of like, you know, the kind of Ren Faire, uh, uh accordion music with the pan flutes with some like fat house beats going in the background.
1: Okay. I was almost <laughs> going like more of like the Ren Faire meets Metallica.
0: Oh, okay. You want to go hard metal.
1: I don't know. I, I mean that just to me kind of feels like um Mr. Light. Like he's just like rocking out behind the scenes to Metallica. All right. Mr. Witch that. is probably more like the pan flute.
0: Okay. What if it's like uh um is it Dropkick Murphys? No, the ones that are uh shipping up to Boston. Um it's got a uh Irish violin they're like but it's, you know, it's it's hard rock at the same time. I could
1: see that. I could see that.
0: Yeah, all right.
1: A variation
0: on that. Let's do it. Good one. Uh, It's not Dropkick Murphys, I don't think. But now I want to look at them as I'm doing this, which is a terrible thing to do. Everyone loves good content like that. Uh, So uh, what can we tell people about uh, what's coming up that we haven't already said?
1: Well, I mean, the Wild Beyond the Witch lay is out. So get it and tell me and Greg about all of your fun adventures in the Feywild and at the Carnival because... I am so excited about this. And this does seem like one of those adventures where I do – I want to hear everything. I want to hear about your characters. I want to hear if you're bunnies and fairies and where you're going. And if you're uh, people, children who have been um, living in the Feywild under mysterious circumstances. Or if you're employed by Mr. Witch and Mr. Light and you work for that carnival. I need to know. I need to know everything.
0: So message us on uh, Twitter with your stories about uh, being a fae and or trapped in the fae wild. You can get in touch with me. I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter or Greg underscore Tito on Instagram.
1: And I'm at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm not kidding. I need to hear the stories.
0: About how your snail racing crashed.
1: Uh <laughs> I think that could be like a pretty good beginning of an adventure. I like, so where sure. were the snails going? Clearly, they're possessed because if they're <laughs> chasing you, then they're fast. Right. And they're not normally. So, what's going on with the snails? First of all, who did this and why did they break free? What's happening?
0: We need someone to Columbo this for us, please.
1: And obviously, put your money on Shelly Moo from the pink team. Bow, bow, bow. No offense to the other snails, but sorry.
0: But they don't have his cool names, honestly. Uh, Although Greenleaf seems like he's he's up my alley. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you want to find out about everything that we've been talking about, there's a couple places. Go to dndcelebration.com as well as dungeonsanddragons.com to find out all about the books and perhaps pre-order what's coming up. You can also follow us all on the social wizards underscore DND on Twitter and Instagram. Like that Facebook page. Like and sub- smash that subscribe button on the YouTube <laughs> for uh all of the video content that'll be coming out for <laughs> D&D celebration. Uh as well as twitch.tv slash D D. Uh there's a new issue of Dragon Plus coming out with tons of great previews Just and out. content. It is out. Uh, so download that to your phone. Check out that issue. Uh, that content is also available at DragonMag.com. And I want to give another extra special shout out to the people who make Dragon Talk happen for reals: Ryan Marth and Lisa Carr. Thank you so much for all you the, do putting the this real together.
1: Talent. Yep,
0: it's true. Um, and I think with that, it's time to move on to Drunky Two Shoes.
1: Oh, dokie. she is ready.
0: I don't remember what was happening exactly last time. You're in the back room in the grocery. Yeah, and I think I just, went
1: up front, and you're just about something to throw
0: down. To you're just about to start fighting. I think, right?
1: Well, I thought I was like chatting with the lady behind the counter, um,
0: and then you went to the back. Oh, because to sneak in the back.
1: Didn't did I? Did, I don't know if I had officially detected that there was a doppelganger in my presence. <laughs>
0: Did and you saw them go down a uh, a, a passageway and then the and guy I jumped went, went,
1: over the went, counter. I think.
0: Yeah, Maybe. and the guy didn't want the guard didn't want to let you in. He didn't believe your deceptions.
1: No, he didn't. But I did get in because I. Yeah, you're in a,
0: the back room now. You're putting the the car rate of food down.
1: I'm going down uh, the stairs.
0: All right. Uh and I think we I think we were gonna roll initiative. I think you were gonna cast something. You're gonna cast
1: I do think that we did roll initiative. Or no. Yes. Wait, no, you're right. We're rolling initiative and I I I had rolled a nineteen, but whatever. I'm okay. rolling again. Well, oh my god, I got a nineteen. I, Not kidding.
0: Nice. All right. So uh you get to go first. Um the guard is blocking your way to to get down there. Uh he says, Whoa, 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 hold on. What do you do?
1: I uh I just push through him. Can I just push through him.
0: Uh, sure. You want to try and l- shove him aside? Yes. Okay. So make a uh, attack with your strength.
1: Oh, wait a minute. We're in initiative, right? Yeah. So I should be able to use my feline agility. Okay. But that really just doubles my move in combat. But I feel like I'm gonna just try to like, oh, like dodge him a little, um, push him if I need to, and then just beat feet.
0: All right, so you're just you're going to try to avoid him. You're not going to try to shove him.
1: Yeah, I'm going to try to avoid okay. him. Okay,
0: make me an acrobatics check then, as you try to maneuver in this uh, smallish uh, room to stay out of his
1: reach. So what you're saying is this is not a good idea. Oh, no, wait, I mean, you, you describe
0: you, that. You, you tell me what you're trying to do. And 21, to, 21. What? All right, so you uh, take a step back and you kind of bump into Samson, who's right behind you. Sorry, Samson. Uh, uh, and then is dr- like, oh, gosh, what? What are you doing? And then you kind of roll uh, with these two who didn't realize that you were going to start fighting. Um, and all of a sudden, you end up on the other side of the guard. And there is a, uh, behind these these little pile of crates, you see a, um, a trapdoor with a ladder going straight down.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Now, did, are Samson and Daryl with me? They're they've all they're No, they're they also... They're, they're okay. on the other
0: side with the guard who is Oops. just kind of drawing his short sword, uh, a little halfway.
1: Oh, shoot. I would prefer them to be with me, but I'm going down the trapdoor.
0: All right. So you go down the trapdoor, uh, and you are in darkness. But luckily, I think Tabaxi have dark vision, correct?
1: Yeah, 60 uh, feet.
0: All right, and you see a, a large actually room. You didn't really think it was going to be this big. You thought it was going to be maybe the same size as this uh, uh, storeroom. Uh, but underneath, it is a very large 60 by 60 foot uh, spacious cavern. Actually, you go down quite a bit, and the ceilings look like they're about 20 feet high. Um, you're using your dark vision now, uh, but your amulet uh, immediately lets you know that there are. Um, three uh, individuals in here that are doppelgangers uh, and the rest seem to be uh, halfling sized moving around uh, and uh, following the orders of the doppelgangers.
1: So I'm just like in this room filled with people? Yes. With creatures? Okay. Uh, Let's
0: end it there because that seems like a great cliffhanger. We'll see what happens next time.